Alright, if you got your Bible, let's get it and let's go to the book of Ephesians. And if you didn't bring a Bible today, there should be one on the seat there with you. And we even have some of the Bibles marked with the marker there. Or if you would like to uh, turn to the front, it tells you what page number it is on. Ephesians, if you're new to the Bible. And uh, also, as you're grabbing your Bible, I'd like you to take the card that you got in your bulletin worship guide today. And uh, it should have, it should look like this. Everybody got one? All right, if you got it, let me see it. Ready? One, two, three. Let's see them. All right, all over the place. Good, good. All right, Usher's doing a good job. This is what we're going to be doing for the next several months. Now, I'm going to read to you, and you can check it out with me. These are some of the questions that we're going to be addressing on Sunday mornings, 11 o'clock, here, from now uh, through the month of April. Last week, we uh, about halfway down, we... we discussed what does it mean to be an imitator of God. Today, we're going to answer the question, how far is too far with my boyfriend or girlfriend? Has science and philosophy disproved God's existence? How can I find God's will for my life? What does the Bible say about alcohol? Now, this is going to be particularly exciting because it's going to be given the sermon in the moonshine capital of the world. Nobody's cheering. That may be a good... uh, Fred did. Okay. Uh, Yeah, we're just going to move on here. What kind of music should I listen to? What does the Bible say about music? Here's, this is going to be really fun. What kind of music is appropriate for, and you see it's in quotation marks, for church? What kind of music is appropriate for church? How is a marriage supposed to work? You're like, Jeff, dude, you are single. How do you know? I don't, but we're just going to look at God's Word every week. Amen? Because if you guys come to hear what I have to say, you need to get a life. And look at what the Bible says. Ephesians 5. What are the roles of the husband and wife? Who wears the pants in the marriage? That's on here. Some, like all the men are very, very apprehensive at that moment. I'll just move on to the next. Kids. This is one for you guys. This is going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. How should children react... To the parents' rules. Any guys remember you're in you're in like under authority of your parents right now, and they give you rules, and you think it is the apex of lameness. We're gonna look at what does the Bible say about parents and their rules. Very practical. Uh, I'm single. How do I prepare for marriage? We're gonna look at that question. Uh, you may be single for a season, or you may be single for a reason. Either one. Glad you got that, Barry. That's that's funny, isn't it? I'm glad one person got that. Thank you. Uh, How can I honor God with my job when my boss is such a jerk? I'm not making this stuff up. This comes from the text of Scripture. Does the Bible endorse slavery? College students, high school students who are going to go to college or people in high school who are not going to go to college but are going to have a conversation with anyone about anything, usually atheists and agnostics make the charge that the Bible endorses slavery. How do you respond to that? 
We're going to look at what the Bible has to say. The next, how should I handle temptation? Temptation. Anything. And then, what is spiritual warfare and how do I prepare for it? Here's a good one. Is Satan a real being or a mythical figure? And finally, do angels and demons really exist? From now until April, we're going to be going through systematically Ephesians, and we're going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 5. We're going to walk all the way through chapter 6. And if we're on schedule and we don't get snowed out, all right, we should, we should arrive there sometime towards the end of April. But today we're going to look at a message called, and you have the outline there on the back of your worship guide, if you want to follow along with us. This is the second half of The Imitators. And we're, I'm just going to go through this very quickly. This is a little bit of a review since it's been, it seems like a year. I'm letting it roll. Last year we met. All right, we're all on cue. Okay. It's seriously though, with, uh, with the, the snow day last week, it seems like it's been a long time. So we're going to pick right back up where we left off. And here's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 1. Therefore be what? What does it say? imitators, followers of God. Now, last time we looked at what this word means. If you're reading out of the King James Version, it translates it followers. Literally, the word is where we get our English word mimic. Like a parrot can uh, can imitate and mimic your voice. In the same way, the literal meaning is an imitator. So what does an imitator do? Help me out. They follow. They do what the source of the imitation does. So the King James Version translates the thought, the explanation of what's going on here. And I'm reading out the English Standard Version. It translates the literal, literal meaning, which is imitators of, what's it say? Imitators of who? Of God, as beloved children. So what is being an imitator of God? We're going to go through this quickly so that we are on cue. Being an imitator of God is not religious ritual. Doesn't mean just coming to church. Doesn't mean just wearing a suit and tie. It doesn't mean simply going to Sunday school. Not only is it not religious ritual, but it's not, check this out, in my heart, but not demonstrated in my life. We've got people all over the South, don't we? Oh, I've been saved. But they're dropping bombs. They're living like, and I'm not cussing when I say this, they're living like hell. When you look at their life, you're like, man, if that's a Christian, I don't need that. Because me and my lost friends who go out and get smashed on Friday and Saturday night, we do the same thing. So what is the difference? James chapter 2 verse 14 says that faith without works is dead. That means if we say, I'm a Christian, but our language and our walk and our talk and everything about our life is no different than the person who doesn't even claim to believe in Jesus, the Bible says it's a false kind of faith. And let me just advertise this. This is going to be the message where probably people don't come back. God has blessed us. Man, there's been more people come. We're blessed that you're here today. But this is the message that is going to be very countercultural, very convicting. This is the one that we're probably, I'm not sure, I'm not calling it, but if people are going to get offended, it's going to be, well, I'm never going back to that church. I'm never going back. Third, being an imitator of God is not, quote, believing in God 
and the truth of the Bible. Because it says in James chapter 2, verse 19, somebody help me out. Even the what believe and tremble. Even the demons believe that God is one, that God is real. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe that Jesus died on the cross. They believe that He was buried, like physically dead. And He stayed there for three days. And they believe that He came back from the dead. Kids, this is weird. Demons believe the gospel. They believe that the word of God is true, but they have not repented and neither can they can. Neither can they. So what is being an imitator of God? Notice what it says there in verse number two. And walk in love. This word walk does not refer to the way that you necessarily walk down the street or your swagger. But it refers to the way that we live life. And walk in love as what? Look at what the text says. And by the way, when I do this, church, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, this whole thing is new to you. This does not apply to you. But I want to ask a question. Why do some of you guys and your members here, why do you never bring your Bible? Constantly do this because this is where we're getting our stuff. Y'all okay? And walk in love as Christ loved us. This is awesome. And how did Jesus love us? He gave himself. He gave his life. He took the bullet and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And that means that when I look back on my life before I was a Christian and before God saved me and changed me, to see that Jesus loved me then, y'all okay? That he loved us then and he died for us when we were still sinners. Man, that means that, 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 that it means that I obey Christ out of love. That it's not one of these things that I have to go to church. I have to read my Bible. I have to give to missions. I have to pray. But it's, man, dude, I get to. You see the difference? One is out of a sense of obligation because we don't understand what Jesus did. But if we understand what he did and how sinful we were, it's like, how can I do everything that I can to serve him. So why should I be an imitator of God? Because of the cross and because other people are watching. People are watching all of us. Now, hopefully you don't have a creepy person who's like looking in your blinds at night, you know, anything like, we're not talking about that weird stuff, but people observe our lives, don't they? And especially if you claim to be a Christian, right? Have y'all ever known of anybody who said, you know, I'm a Christian and and since I've got a big black Bible, it's kind of like this, right? And they, 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 they talk about how they're Christian, they go to church, but then the, the rest of the, of the week and the rest of their life, it doesn't really carry over. People are watching. And God will bless this church if we're real. And if we're out of the community, being hypocrites, God will not bless it. So how can I put this into practice? Verse number two, do whatever he says. That means because Christ has died for me, because He has saved me, because He's rescued me from hell, that means that, man, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? There's this little uh, poem that I remember, it's kind of like bathroom theology. There, there are things in the restroom people have, you know, posters and, and sayings and such. And it was this, one life, some of y'all know it, will soon be passed, but only what's done for Christ will last. One life, mine. My life will soon be past. So only what I've done for Christ will last. That's why there in the application, 
to do whatever He says and to pursue Him above everything in your life. See, Jeff, okay, so when I pursue Him, I know that I'm following Christ, so what does that not mean? In other words, if I'm pursuing Jesus, by definition, I'm not doing other things. For example, if you're playing a basketball game, what are you also, by playing basketball, not doing? Playing football. Well, I've played basketball with some guys, and they play basketball like they play football. But if you're playing basketball, you're also not on the computer or you're not driving your car. See what I'm saying? Everything that we do, we do to the exclusion to something else. That's why we're going to begin to go go right through verse number 3. And here is this conjunction. This is the first conjunction in chapter 5. The Bible says, but... And but is a way of giving a distinction between two separate ideas. It's like giving a distinction between two separate entities, one good and one evil, like the Dallas Cowboys and the Washington Redskins. I mean, total opposites. Here it is. It is very quiet. But, what's it say? But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper for saints. So God's Word is telling us that if we're going to be a follower of Christ... We must avoid sexual immorality. And the word here in the Greek language is pornea, where we get our English word pornography. Now right here, let me stop. I know there are many churches to where people get very uncomfortable where anything like this is addressed. Okay, number one, God's Word addresses sex, relationships, and marriage. In fact, there's a book in the Bible in the Old Testament called the Song of Solomon... And the whole book is dedicated to the relationship of a man and wife in an intimate way. The word in Hebrew for Song of Solomon is, dude, is that book really in the Bible? I mean, when you read it, you're like, this is really... This can be very uncomfortable. But what I think that sometimes in church we get to this, this mentality where it's all supposed to come and we're all dressed up and, oh, how are you doing today? I am fine. I am fake. And we never talk about the things that are ravaging our families. Alright? So, what we're about to jump into, if you are a religious traditionalist, you will not like this. I'm just going to put it out there. If you're an advertisement person, they say never to do this, but you're not going to like it. But, with as many broken families... As many children that are born out of wedlock, as many STDs as we have going all through the world, yes, North America, don't you think that God's Word has something to say about that? And if we truly care about people, don't you think that we should let them know what God's Word really says so maybe it will save them heartache? Okay, parents, you say, man, I hate messages like this, Jeff, because I have messed up so much in my past. Listen to me, if you've got kids, this is what we need to study because you can help them not make the same mistakes that you've made. Y'all all right? So, so we're going to get very real. Not going to do anything bad, not anything wrong. We're going to jump right in and explain what God's Word says to abstain and stay away from. The first is sexual immorality. Now, first off, we need to understand that sex outside of marriage, students, that means sex before you're married, or once you're married, sex with someone outside of your marriage. 
Matthew, it is always a hard issue. Matthew chapter 15 in verse 19 says, this is Jesus. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. In fact, there were a lot of people who were getting saved in the first century and they didn't come from a Jewish background. So the Jews, Jewish leaders kind of got together and like, man, what do we tell people who are not Jews who get saved? Do they need to begin to keep the Jewish law? Here's what the stipulation was. Acts chapter 15, verse 19. Therefore, it is my judgment that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Here it is. But write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and also from what has been strangled and from blood. So basically, in the first century, if you were a person who had never even been around the Jews, you didn't really know what the Old Testament was, you didn't really know what the Bible was, but you got saved, it was like, alright, this is what God wants you to do. Follow Him, and when you're following Him, no sexual immorality, and stay away from idol worship. That was it. So this is coming from the beginning, and from the beginning, if we go back to Genesis, God created one man and eight women, right? He said, Adam, have a good time. Isn't that what happened? Adam, here's your harem. No, I'm sorry, I messed it up. No, he created, he created eight men and, and, and one woman, and, and God said, Eve, if this guy stops making you happy, if he doesn't express his feelings to me, if he does not uh, honor you the way he should, you, you can go from one man to one man to one man to one man until you find the man that makes you happy, right? That's the theology of the day that we live in. When marriages break up, what commonly is the reason? I want to be happy. And ladies, let me just give you, let me just break into the man code just a little bit. Guys are pretty much the same. Sorry, guys, I'm giving it away. All right. If, if you're, you know, it's, and if you, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Let's just walk through this. We're going to get to that in just a moment. One of the ways, and this is countercultural, from the Bible, one of the ways to counteract temptation to have, for, for students and younger people to have sex outside of marriage is to, is to what? Get married. This is what the Bible says. It's countercultural. It's crazy. First Corinthians 7 2 says, But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Now, sometimes Christian students grow up and they hit about seventh or eighth grade. And guys, you remember what it was like? Girls have the cooties. And then one day you're, you're like, How you doing? I mean, it is just like a night and day difference. And girls, you, 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 you change from thinking that boys are nasty to always thinking about them and talking about them. It's like, you know, you're sixth grade and you see a high school uh, cheerleader and she's like, you're so cute. Yes, I am. I mean, it is just, it's like that, that change, you know, and some of y'all are, some of y'all are acting, some of y'all are sitting there acting like you don't know if that's ever happened. That concerns me. I've talked to some young guys who are like, dude, Jeff, man, I'm struggling so much with lust. Like, I, I just, I, I, I think about girls all the time. I'm like, bro, first off, if you weren't thinking about girls, that would be a problem. Then we'd really need to talk. Some of y'all get the meaning, okay? Like, it is normal. 
it is normal to be attracted. And by the way, here's something that you don't hear sometimes from churches. Check this out. That is a God-created, God-instilled desire in men and women to be together. But sometimes in church we get this picture that you got to wait till you're 55 to go to the singles class. And if you've ever been to a singles class, you have been through the Great Tribulation. I'm just going to put it out there. Man, you're there and you're like, man, you know, and I got a, got a date for 40 years because if we date for 30, it may lead to things like premarital hand-holding. You know what I'm talking about? It's just like we get this picture that's just crazy. The Apostle Paul says, if you're both saved... If you both love Jesus, and, and this, this, this is going to carry so much onto Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through the end of the chapter. But if the guy is a man, and guys will talk about that, girls, if he's a man. And by the way, girls, if you're in high school, wherever you are, if a guy asks you out, the first thing that you should find out is, are you saved? Right, parents? Are you saved? Because if he's going this way, and you're going this way, not going to work. Not going to happen. Second thing you ask is, do you have a job? <laughs> I'm not joking. Seriously, this is biblical. Because if he's all, if he's all big and bad, driving his mom's car and his dad's money to take you out to Burger King and get you something off the value menu, the value menu. Wait until he gets a job. All right. Now, now let me say very quickly, we're not referring to a man who has a work ethic, who has lost his job. Not referring about that at all. Not even coming close. We're not talking about a man whose job has been phased out. We're not talking about someone who has worked hard and loves to provide, who has suffered in this economy. But we're talking about a 20s to 30 to 16, whatever, he, however age he is, and he's living with his mom, sleeping in till 3, but he's on level like 8. On Xbox. You know what I'm talking about? The guy who has, and li- listen, ladies, seriously, and this is, there's so much here. A man must be a provider. We're not talking necessarily about finances at this point, but he's got to know where he's going when he dies. He has to be a saved man, and he's got to be a man who is mature enough in Christ. To lead you in prayer, lead you in following God's word, and a good sign is if he comes to hear God's word. So that's what the Bible says, students. That's a way that you can uh, that you can offset some of that. Now, our culture oftentimes, especially those of you who have gone away to college or if you're in the workforce, they see biblical teaching on saving yourself until you're married. As restrictive. They think that if you say something like, I'm waiting until I get married, or if you are someone who has made mistakes in the past, but you're like, I've been saved, God has washed me clean, and I will no longer go back to that lifestyle that I've been saved from. Either of those groups, the world will see that is very restrictive, very non-fun, and is having literally no life. They think that we're like Puritans walking around and simply saying, How art thou, brother? And we don't have any life. Nothing could be further from the truth. Now often, 
With guys who don't know the Lord, there's something called sexual conquest, otherwise known as putting notches on the belt, or trophies. Guys, from the Word of God and from the heroes of Scripture, that is one of the most cowardly things that we as men could ever do. Because the Bible says that we are called to protect those who cannot defend themselves. It even says over in chapter 5, actually if you have your Bibles there in verse number, verse number 23, says, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives should submit to their husbands and everything. We'll talk about what that doesn't mean. Precursor doesn't mean that women are a doormat. And guys, if you twist that verse to do that, you're a coward. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So guys, what this whole deal with trying to bag as many women as possible is, is it's cowardly because it is using those that we should protect. And girls, if you're dating a guy and that's all that he seems to be focused on, run. Or I have some friends who know how to fight and they will teach you moves to incapacitate him. Somebody will say, now Jeff, especially when you get into the 20s in the college, they say, Jeff, it's consensual sex. They're not married, but they both consent. Well, then it's consensual theft and cruelty because what the person is taking is they're taking something, please listen, they're taking something that should only be reserved for your husband or your wife. And it says in the book of Isaiah that the adulterer is cruel. It gives a really interesting picture in the 28th chapter of the book of Isaiah. It said that the bed, this is this weird picture, but it's amazing. It says the bed that is too short for the adulterer and the sheet is too short. What in the world does that mean? It simply means that if we try to find peace, if we try to find love, if we try to find fulfillment outside of Jesus Christ through disobeying what He says, that we will only end in disappointment and disillusionment. And as many people as you can get, as many people as you can have sex with, it will not satisfy. And what it will do is it will destroy your soul. And not only that, guys, is that if we pursue, if we as men pursue women as objects to be used as a punching bag for our lust, what we're really saying is don't go to God to heal your broken heart. And by the way, talk to me. Why do most people get drunk? A lot of times they're sad, aren't they? Sometimes it's a couple times in the year, you know. But, but a lot of times the, when people go to bars, we've all seen the movie scenes, right? The lonely person walks in, give me something strong. Because they're going through sorrow. The biblical picture is don't go to alcohol, but go to Christ. He's the one who's able to fix those problems. He's the one who's able to, bit, to, to, to mend and fix up the broken heart. So what we as men, guys, this is what it's like. If we try to treat women as objects, things to be conquered, what we're saying without saying it is don't go to God to heal your broken heart. Just give it to me. I'll use it. I'll recycle it, and then I'll throw it away. And a man, if you're here today, guys, and that's you, you're more of an emissary, you're more of an ambassador of Satan than you are of God. 
Because the Bible says that Satan came to what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. And that's what adultery and sex outside of marriage always does. But Jesus said, I came to give what? Life. And to give it in abundance. So if you're a Christian here today and you've been tempted at your work, and that happens sometimes, doesn't it? You don't have to acknowledge. It does. You're an ambassador of the king. Do like Joseph. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament? He was working for this really famous Egyptian. And, and if you were a famous Egyptian, you probably didn't have an ugly wife. Mrs. Potiphar. She pursued him day after day after day. And she, was not, she, did, she didn't get any windows. She said, come to bed with me. That's in the Bible. Right here. She said, come to bed with me. And he said, how can I do this wicked thing and sin against God? Then one day, this is crazy. She goes and she grabs a hold of him. And what does he do? He runs. Now the Bible says that Joseph was well built and handsome. So he wasn't this little nerdy guy who's like, I think I'm going to wait till I'm 41 to talk to a girl. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't, he was not a weird dude. He was well built. He was smart. He was handsome. And she comes and she grabs him and he runs and she grabbed a hold of him so tightly that she tore off his coat. And then when the boss came home, she lied and said, Joseph tried to force me. But you know what a lot of parents even in church would have told Joseph? They would have said, now Joseph, I don't think that you should have sex with that woman because if you do, you may lose your job. You may get an STD. You may get into a domestic violence dispute with the husband. You may have a, quote, unwanted child. And let me just say, if you know someone who is pregnant outside of marriage right now, please let us know. We would love to support them and help them carry that baby to term if they're not able to take care of it, to get it in the hands of a parent who will. Amen, church? We don't just stand up here and say, abortion's wrong, you're all going to hell. We believe that abortion's wrong, but we love children, and so we will help. But notice all of that reasoning that parents sometimes tell children about abstaining from sex. Even married people say, we don't want to cheat because if you do, your marriage will break up and you'll lose your job, you'll lose your house. All of that is focused upon who? Us. Do you know what the biblical injunction is? Joseph said, how can I do this wicked thing and sin against who? Against God. See, parents, what we have to do here is point to the fact that Jesus is Lord. My whole life is directed towards Him, so anything that could pull me away from Him, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Secondly, notice there, sexual immorality, and what's the next word? Purity. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7, For God has not called us for impurity, but to holiness. Now, someone will say at this point, and here's our question today, Jeff, I know that going all the way is pri- it's wrong, alright? That's definitely not okay. Not going to go down that road. But what about all the other things? And I don't have to name them. You know what I'm talking about. What about everything up to the point of going all the way? Well, this word here, impurity, doesn't mean dirty on the outside, like if you were playing in the dirt. 
It means anything that would bring a sense of guilt and shame. So here are some questions, students. When you go to school here this next quarter, and people are talking about all the things that you can do without, quote, going all the way. And by the way, church folks, this is the stuff that we need to be talking about. Y'all all right? Like four people who agree. Here's a question, student. Will this act with my boyfriend or girlfriend give me a clean or a clear conscience or will it defile my conscience? In other words, will I walk away from this feeling good? Say, you know, I've got to walk with the Lord. I've got a clean heart. Or will I walk away feeling guilty? Would it honor my father and my mother? Would they be ashamed of me if they knew? Exodus 20.12 Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Does it bring guilt? Does it bring shame? Would it embarrass my family if they knew? Another question. Would this, con- would this cause a non-Christian to conclude that there's no difference in my life and their life? Another question. Does this honor or bring dishonor to the other person? In other words, this act, would it give value to them saying, I believe that you are a valuable person, therefore I will not take from you. Instead, I will give you uh, more encouragement and help you walk closer with Christ. Another question, will this help or hinder the other person's relationship with God? That's the biggest question, students. Because a lot of times we come to church, don't we? And people are like, now Jeff, is this a sin? Is this a sin? Is this a sin? And we want this little chart that we walk around. All right, okay, check, good. All right, all right, check. That's not it at all. The question for followers of Christ, go back to verse 1. What does it say? Be imitators, be followers of God. So if I'm a Christ follower, if I believe in Jesus, if I love Him, then the question is, will this act with my boyfriend or girlfriend give them more of a sense of being obedient to Jesus, or will it be something that later on that they'll have to repent of? That's why it says in the Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, to flee youthful lust. That means, guys, if you've got a smoking hot woman and she's sitting there and she is trying to tempt you all day long, don't sit down with your Bible. Excuse me, Mrs. Smoking Hot Woman. Let me read you a verse from the Bible. Not going to work. That's why the Bible says to flee. It says all the time, you know, stand firm. Like Shammah in the Old Testament. All the other soldiers ran away and he stood in a field of peace. And he killed 300 men. It said he stood firm. Why does the Bible tell us to flee from youthful lust? Because we have the tendency, especially we as men, man, we're visually oriented, to fall. You don't sit there and debate. You just leave. You get out of there. I know one guy was working a job and there was a very attractive redhead who was going through marriage problems. She was doing everything but proposing to him right there. It was the office job, like, you know, the crossed legs and the hitting. Whoops, I'm sorry, I'm hitting your foot. Let's play footsie at work. That was happening. So this guy's like, I mean, he's like, he can't, he can't really leave. He's, he's there in his pod, his little cubicle. So what he did is he started preaching the gospel. Next year, they met back up at the same job. 
She said, I want to thank you for what you told me. My husband and I are now back together. This is, this is, this is cool. My husband and I, we were split up. We're now back together. And he just dropped flowers off to me at work. Women, y'all ought to be excited about that. I mean, that's good stuff. God can save a marriage if we're obedient to Him instead of us being another statistic. Because Jesus has risen from the dead. And by the way, if you're here and you have made so many mistakes in the past, Satan is telling you right now because of those mistakes that there is no hope for the future. When that happens, just remind him that the Bible says that I am more than a conqueror. Amen, church? I am more than a conqueror and to remind him of where he's going. Third, covetousness. And we're almost getting to the good part. Covetousness. What is that? It is, and there's a great church father, incredible author. His name is Ambrosiaster. So, prospective parents, there is a great name that you can name your child to where he will never have any friends. Ambrosiaster. Early church father, not long after Jesus rose from the dead, he said, Why is covetousness? Go over to verse number 5. It says, covetousness is idolatry. Why is it called idolatry? This is because idolatry usurps, which means to take the place of. That means, ladies, when you're there and you're trying to cook, the other lady comes along and begins to criticize your cooking and show how she can cook better. And you're like, where is something that I can hold in my hand to beat her with? Your idolatry usurps. It takes the place of the honor of God and claims it for the creature. He goes on, says, covetousness withholds the resources offered by God for the common use of all, and it hoards them to itself so that others may not use them. You know the reason why God gives us anything? He gives it to us so that it can be used for His glory. Amen? That means everything. You, you can have an iPod. You can have, you can have a card to invite your friends to church. You can have your keys to your car to bring somebody. You can have your wallet. You can even have your TV and invite your friends over to watch something and then use that as a way to build relationships and share the gospel. Everything that God has given us, He's given it to us so that we can use it for His glory. Isn't that cool? You ever been around somebody who's really greedy, really spoiled? You just want to slap them? Another honest man in the house. Yeah. But the point is that when God gives us gifts, we're supposed to give that in any way that we can back to the Lord. And notice the next phrase right there. The word is um, in number, verse number four. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. Literally, filthiness is talking about things that are shameful. You ever been around a group of guys? Men, one way that we... Progress to biblical manhood is that we don't talk about things that are filthy because the Bible says that Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, the pure in heart shall see God. Because God is pure, I want my words to be pure. See that? The difference? Instead of parents saying, don't say bad words because they're, they're bad. Because I said they're bad. And I have the rod. And I will beat you with it. Filthy talk is filthy because God is holy. See? Point it back to God instead of simply to us as the authorities. Foolish words. 
Foolish talk. The word here is a combination, this is so cool, between the word moros and logia. Moros, help me out, moron. Literally, the Bible's saying, don't talk like a moron. Don't cause trouble with your speaking. Don't gossip. When you say something, let it be edifying and build people up. This would be a great time. Amen? Today would be a great day to say, God, I'm not going to do the, you know, rededicate thing. I'm going to repent. I've been talking the way I shouldn't this past year. I've been saying things that I shouldn't. And today I'm going to dedicate that to you, that I want my words to not be foolish words or moronic words. I want them to be your words. And not only that, verse 4, it it continues, nor crude joking. If you have King James Version, it translates this word jesting. Like if you play cards, you've got uh, in some older card decks, you thought you'd never hear a preacher reference cards from the pulpit. You have a jester or a joker. The thought here is not that Christians shouldn't tell jokes. But the point is that they are vulgar jokes. Case in point, that's what she said. Things of that nature, everybody under... 40, got that. Everybody, what just happened? The kind of joking that's referred to here, and this is cross-generations, is taking a subject that is innocent, that is normal, and making something perverted out of it. See? Take, instead of saying, how can I use this conversation to point to the gospel. Like, okay, here we are in this conversation talking about whatever. Let me see if I can build the conversation, build the bridge to Jesus. What the Bible's talking about here, instead of building the bridge to Jesus, we're like, let me build the bridge from talking about this to something that's perverted because I need other people to approve of me and laugh at me. So I'm going to lower my standards. The Bible says... Avoid it. By the way, the word here is the same words combination where we get James chapter 1 verse 17 where it says that God is the giver of every good gift and there is no turning within God. The very same word that the Bible says is not in God's nature. Perverseness and uh, anything that's twisted says don't let it be in your speech. So, here's the question. Why should I abstain from these things? Number one, they're out of place for a Christ follower. Secondly, they're not on the path of following Christ. They don't fit. Notice what it says in verse 4. It says, but they're out of place. It means something just doesn't fit. It means the guy in his, in his 40s that tries to act like a 7th grader and be cool. What's up, dog? Don't ever do that again. Just be yourself, right? Doesn't fit. Doesn't match up. So, so Jeff, we know how we're not supposed to talk. And by the way, somebody help me out. reason why the Bible says to avoid these things is because we are representatives of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? It's not like the Christmas song to be good for goodness sake, but it's to do it to represent Christ. It says, let there be, in the end of verse 4, let there be thanksgiving. That means, God, I don't want to focus on all the things that I don't have, the women that I don't have, ladies, the husband that I don't have, or that I wish that I didn't have or whatever. Because covetousness and lust always focuses upon what we don't have. And here's a question for everybody. What do all of us deserve since we're all sinners? 
The Bible says the soul that sins, it shall die. We've all sinned, haven't we? Get a little amen there? So why are we still alive? Exactly. It's the grace of God that's allowing us to live here. What an incredible thought. The final phrase in verse 5, verse five 6, and 7, the final thought there is to avoid these things because the wrath of God is coming. Now I have um, right here a, an anchor that me and some friends found a couple of years ago when we were doing some diving <clears throat> down in Florida. We dove down and we got it and this rope was not attached to the anchor then. And I thought, what happened to the anchor? I want you guys to go on this thought with me. You're like, the preacher just pulled out a knife. It's okay, nobody's going to get hurt. Don't worry. Now, if I ask for a volunteer, you might be concerned. The anchor holds a boat in the proper place, doesn't it? The Bible says that the wrath of God is coming. I want you to picture a boat, a bunch of rocks along the beach, not a sandy Florida beach, a rocky coast like up in Oregon. And if the anchor does not hold the boat, if the boat is not held to the anchor by something, then the boat will be smashed upon the rocks and the people who are on there will probably be killed. I thought, you know, the way that we've lived our lives a lot of times is, is we've viewed things like we talk about today. We viewed things like that as restrictive, is not fun. I don't want to go to church. That's lame. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to follow Jesus. I don't want to give. And we, we, we feel kind of like we've got this anchor on us and we're dragging around. Yeah, I got to go to church. My mom's making me go to church. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And we think that it's some weight. We think that it's something that is cramping our style to use the 90s expression. But in reality, the Bible says that the wrath of God is coming. And whoever is not anchored to Jesus Christ will be dashed upon the rocks. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And here's what some of us have done we say we've heard the gospel, but we see it as this unnecessary weight. So instead of believing in Jesus by faith, we've said, you know what, God, I've been in church a long time, and you've told me in my spirit, I know that I've never been saved but I don't want to get saved. I want to continue to do what I want to do. Or I've heard this message, and Jeff, I want to continue to sleep around. So what we've done, instead of seeing this as the lifesaver that it is, we think that it's a burden. And what we've done is basically come along and cut it. The Bible says, notice what it says in verse number 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. That means people who will tell you that you can be a Christian and your life not change. That everyone who's sexually immoral, impure, or covetous, has no inheritance of the kingdom of God. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You say, well, Jeff, man, I don't want to be, I don't want to be judged by God. When I die or when Jesus comes back, I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. I know I'm a sinner. Is what it is. By faith, just like this carabiner. Say, Jesus... I see that you're not someone to cramp my style, but instead, you're the one who rose from the dead. And you can save me from the wrath of God to come. And it can be connected, the anchor of Jesus Christ, to the ship of your life, so that when the wrath of of God comes, you will be safe because you've been forgiven. 
The invitation is very simple today. Some of you guys have been saved over this last month. We're going to ask you guys when we begin to sing to come forward and show that. Some of you right now, God has shown you that you need to be born again and be forgiven. I'm going to give you a chance to do that here in just a few moments, to give your life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you a chance to just bow your head and say, God, I'm, I'm messed up, but I'm asking you to save me. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As our uh, Fred and our musicians are coming up to lead us right now, if you're here today, you may say, Jeff, man, I need to be saved. The Bible says to call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. To call upon God means to realize that you're not God and say, God, I need you. Would you forget? I mean, it's not any particular prayer right now. Just say, God, please save me. Just get real. Say, God, I am, I'm committing myself to you. I need you to forgive me now. And if you're here and, and you've been saved, but you're like, man, Jeff, I have fallen off the rocker this past year. It has been a year of backsliding. Man, it's been a year of disobedience. But I don't want to be disobedient anymore. I want this year, 2011, to be an imitator of Christ. If that's you, you say, Lord, right now. Say, God, I'm repenting and I'm giving myself to you once again. Let's get real with the Lord. If you're here and you've been saved, but you've never been baptized, we're also going to ask you that when we begin to sing, to walk forward and to show people that you want to get baptized, and we'll do that for you here at Rocky Mount Baptist. So when we begin to sing whatever commitment or decision God has laid upon your heart, if you're like, man, Jeff, I know that I need to join this church. I'm ready to serve. I've been saved. I'm ready to go. Put me to work. I'm ready to serve Christ here. We're going to ask you to come. And by doing that, you're saying that you want to join with us and partner with this mission here in Rocky Mile. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be obedient during this time. If there's any fear of a person making commitment for you this morning, that you'd take it away. In Jesus' name, amen.